listeners, welcome to the Beyond Writing Podcast, brought to you by Bright Little Light Press. I'm your host, Dakri Carey, and today we have guest host Kay Rhodes with us. Hello. Today we're going to talk about getting political as a writer. Uh, the question is, can you do this, and should you do this, and what would be the consequences to you if you do do it? So this conversation is sparked mainly by recent events in the media and in life. Um, We are recording this on Thursday, August 17th, and the preceding weekend there was a white supremacy rally in Charlottesville, and a woman lost her life at a counter-protest, and there are a lot of conversations being had right now about our role as individuals in society and our president's role as a leader. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to touch on your role as a writer, how you can influence the world, whether or not you should, and how it can impact your business if you do. So there are two ways in which you could choose to get political as a writer. One is through your body of work and your writing itself. And the other is through your public persona. And I think a lot of people don't realize or don't think about the fact that as writers, you have a very public platform that you could use to influence people. Whether or not you choose to do that is a very personal decision, and it should be a calculated decision. I think to some degree it happens, at least with fiction writers, Uh, A lot of people do it without realizing it because most authors put their everyday held beliefs into their writing and don't recognize that that actually is a political statement of support of sorts. You know, if you're if you have a good, wholesome book, you are advocating that, you know, and, and the book is talking about how this wholesome neighborhood and these wholesome people and looking up to them in a positive light, you actually are making a political statement. And, you know, if like everything you do is to some degree that, but we don't think about those because they're such small things. They're so normal. Oh, I'm just talking about normal things. And There are so many writers who have gone so much more, so much farther and made such a dramatic impact on minds by putting out ideas and exploring ideas that aren't necessarily normal at the moment or the common wisdom. So to take this in a different direction, there is an author who I've read fairly extensively. Her name is Sherry Tepper, and she writes sort of fantastical novels. She writes fantasy, but also some fairy tale retelling. She's done a lot of interesting things. And one complaint that people have, as she gets further into her career, her writing is more and more focused on environmental causes specifically. She writes a lot about what happens when we as a species destroy our planet and have to seek uh, homes elsewhere and potential consequences of things like global warming and sea level rise, but in a more um, fantasy-oriented sense. But everything is very ecological and environmental. And as she has gotten further in her career, her reviews have gotten more critical because some of her readers have not appreciated the fact that 
she's gone so far off on these tangents that they now form like the whole basis for her story. You're beating me over the head with your politics. There's at the same time, those goals can be achieved by simply putting people in situations that, you know, happen to be harsh. Like instead of doing it directly, like, oh, it was climate change. You could do some sort of, there was a nuclear war and there were consequences and rather than, you know, right now people are concerned about climate change, but there's other ways to write about it, about like, oh, what, okay, what are the effects of climate change? Bad weather. Okay. So there was an evil scientist who did horrible things and he screwed up the weather and, you know, but it's not about that. It's just about the people living in this situation. And, and the consequences. Right. And our minds will make that subconscious connection. You don't have to beat me over the head with climate change. And yet you can get in a, a political agenda out there and not turn off your readers if you're careful um, about it. <laughs> along a similar vein, the core of the conflict right now with the white supremacy issues and these domestic terror attacks and all of the things happening around this is sort of a fundamental conflict in the human psyche between us, whatever group we perceive as us, and other, whatever group we perceive as other. This is a conflict that has been brewing for thousands of years as a species, there's always, we always find these ways to group ourselves into us and them. And you see this story repeated over and over again in literature, anytime. It's one of the core conflicts that you'll find in any plot, some sort of us versus them plot. And there are so many ways you could symbolize stuff like the conflict that's going on in the world today in less uh, overt ways that, like Kay was saying, don't beat your readers over the head with it, but you could still communicate a message around it. And how many sci-fi authors have done exactly that with aliens? Not even human versus alien, but like an alien species versus another alien species. Or humans versus robots and AI and whether or not uh, AIs are human. Like there's a lot of, again, to go back to this fundamental um, conflict, there is a dehumanizing aspect of the us versus them conflict. Somehow we rationalize ways that the them and the us versus them conflict are less human. And so to bring sci-fi into it, there's the whole AI thing, like at what point is sentience human? And how do we define that as a species? And what do your characters do with it? Do they fight against it? Do they find a way to make peace with it? Do they work with it? Do they you know, em- embrace the, you know, us versus them aspect and, like, bring it up like, yes, we should fight them! Or maybe we can sidestep the problem. Or maybe I can, you know, you have got a subversive main character who goes behind enemy lines and he falls in love with an AI. And, <laughs> you know, like, there's so many ways to, you know, obviously we're a little more towards a, hey, let's bring peace to the world than let's start wars. But, you know, whatever your political agenda is, like, you can do this. You've got an amazing power as a writer. Absolutely. Um, Again, I was thinking about other stories that really have made an impact on me personally. And one of my favorite books of all time is Ender's Game. 
And it's a really interesting example of what we're talking about tonight, because for on the one hand, the main character in the story is Ender, and he is being like trained mercilessly to fight this war on behalf of humanity against these aliens who nearly wiped us out the last time we encountered them. And along the way, he starts having sort of a telepathic connection with these alien species, and in the end, he learns empathy and even love for them as he is sort of wiping them out. It's a really moving story about how at the core of this conflict, you have the humanity's basic struggle to survive versus our need to connect and to empathize and to really love other creatures, ourselves or aliens or whatever it may be. And... Dogs, cats. <laughs> yeah. Bunnies, cows. I like to eat beef. Um, yeah, so this is the core of this story, and it really is very impactful. And I think had it ended in any other way, without him coming to form this attachment and empathy and love for this other species, it wouldn't have been nearly as good of a story. No, it would have been. Like, as, as people, we want to root for the empathetic characters. We want to root for the side of good and love. So if you can find ways to incorporate those sorts of positive messages in your books, you may be making more of an impact on your readers. Yeah, my, my childhood was dramatically impacted and formed in many ways by the fiction I read by the stories that were put out there. And there, there have been studies done which show that people who uh, grow up reading fiction are far more empathic than other people because when you read fiction, you put yourself in the shoes of the main character. Literally. You, literally. You are literally imagining yourself being some other person. Yeah, and they're, in a way it kind of tricks your mind. To this, this other, you are imagining yourself as them, and this character has these thoughts, and you are having these thoughts. And even though you can distinguish, you know, step back and say, oh, that's just the character, those aren't really my thoughts, your brain is still going through the process. It's just like sports players visualizing specific plays. Like, they're not actually going through the plays and the physical motions, but they learn from that visualization. We learn from the visualization of uh, reading of these characters, and we get to put, be put in situations of emotional or physical, physical contact, conflict that we won't experience in our everyday life, and we get to think about what would I do in this situation? And sometimes you think along the lines of the main character, and sometimes the, what the main character chooses makes you very uncomfortable. And neither of those is good or bad. I mean, it's it, writing is art, and it is art moves people. If it is successful art, it has moved people, and it has caused emotion and response and a situational awareness that we didn't have otherwise. Yeah, in some ways it's like practice for having these emotions that you don't normally experience yeah. in your day-to-day -day life. Is your opportunity to sort of see this and... Also practice putting yourselves in someone else's shoes. That sort of empathy can really help you in your everyday life. Yeah, I mean, imagine, uh, you know, typical Midwest, there's a lot of homophobia. And imagine you're a young boy growing up in the Midwest surrounded by a lot of homophobic people. And you read a book where the main character has a best friend who's gay. 
Like, what is that going to do to you? You're like, you're spending hours literally in in the mental shoes of another person who is being kind to a gay person, who is seeing a gay person as a normal other person. It's like, that's going to have an impact. It's not necessarily going to change your mind, but now you're, hey, maybe gay people aren't just them bad. Maybe they're just other people, you know? Yeah, that kind of indirect message, having a friend who's gay and having nothing negative as a result of that, is in some ways much more persuasive than outright saying, oh, homophobia is bad. Like, we, as a liberal society, could tell people, dictate to people that, no, no, homophobia is wrong, it's okay to be gay. But telling people that who have a deeply held belief otherwise, you're never going to get through to them. You're just going to be yelling at them and they're going to get even more entrenched in their opposing viewpoint. But if you can give them a more subtle way to sort of make these connections on their own, it, it really can change the perception and give you different ways to reach people who would otherwise not be reachable. Yeah. And on the more significant issues like, uh, racism, like homophobia, like where people either have, eh, I don't really think about it, I don't care, or they have a very strong opinion in one way or the other. In those situations, coming out directly against or for it is going to really butt up, like Dakri said, but having like a, a side character who isn't even critical to the story, but happens to be present and happens to show the viewpoint you like English by existing in a positive light can be hugely impactful in the long run. I mean, not much we do as writers has direct impact. There are very, it happens, uh, especially in journalism. There's been some stories that have, you know, changed the world, but overall the options we have are more long-term. They, they, work on people by accreting, like, hey, I imagined myself like this character, and I imagined myself like that character, and what are the common threads that I'm putting together in my subconscious? Yeah, and um, related to that, it's a different sort of way that you can have an impact. There is a lack of representation of minority figures in fiction. And I know some African-American writers who are very um, vocal about the fact that they're not well-represented in fiction, There aren't a lot of African-American stories for them to be able to read and relate to, and their families and their cultures just are underrepresented. Meanwhile, what massive percentage of the U.S. is black, like, you know, or or Hispanic? I mean, what, we've got over 50% of the U.S. speaks Spanish, and I would not be surprised if the U.S. publishing industry was more about, hey, look at the English, you know, I don't really know the Spanish market for publishing, but, like... There are people out there so ready and primed. Like, we all like reading about people like us. And whatever your us is, however you identify, there you probably enjoy reading about people like you. And we enjoy hanging out with people like us. And there's this wonderful market of all these people who aren't just white people. Yeah, and by adding diversity to your storytelling, you can capture this market. You could have a secondary character or a series of secondary characters who maybe are not a mainstream culture, um, maybe minorities, but representing them accurately and in a sensitive way is really important. Yeah. It can't be a stereotype. Um, you really have to do your homework and do it appropriately 
when you bring these characters in, but when you do it in a meaningful way and with sensitivity, you can dramatically propel your career to the next level just by reaching new audiences and by getting people motivated to talk about your book because minorities have so few people that they can read about and relate to. It's really, it, it can make a dramatic difference to them and to you. Yeah. Very directly. But like the author Dacker is talking about with the uh, ecological agenda, like you, you, it can't be the agenda. Right. Like people don't, I don't. Don't preach to them. Yeah. E- even when the author, I share the same political views as the author, like I don't want to listen to your politics. I just want to read a good story. Um and we are mostly focusing on fiction here because with nonfiction, I don't know. Why don't we talk about nonfiction a little bit? I mean, to to me, it's it's harder to put out there, but I can see a lot of ways in which writing a particular account, you know, re- relating stories, nonfiction stories at the right time can be, and in the right way, can be very effective socially, given they don't tend to have as much of a broad spread. But, for example, you know, a ton of people are going to read Barack Obama's stuff, the, the autobiography he's writing. And what he chooses to say and not say in that will have an impact on a ton of people. Because I suspect there's a bunch of wonderful things he's done, and there's a bunch of not-so-wonderful things he's done, and probably some terrible things that he's not allowed to tell us. <laughs> but, you know, it's... He, by that story coming out, and when it comes out, there will be a political climate. And what he chooses to put forth in the world at that point in time, because people are going to listen, is going to have an impact. And... I, I don't think authors realize, I think some authors, like the really big ones, get that they are powerful voices. Um, the name of the wind guy. Patrick Rothfuss. Like, he recognizes that he has an audience and he recognizes that he can use that audience and to affect change in the world. But I don't think that indie authors with like, oh, maybe I've only got a thousand readers You've got a thousand people who are willing to listen to you. Like, that's an amazing thing. Like, it don't have to be huge. You don't have to have millions of readers. You made an interesting distinction there when you brought Patrick Rothfuss into the conversation. And that is, Patrick Rothfuss in his writing doesn't necessarily get particularly political. I mean, there is there are some political elements to his storytelling, but for the most part, it's more of a classic hero tale, but Patrick Rothfuss, the persona, the online person who is a public uh, figure, has dramatically leveraged his persona to communicate his messages. So one thing he does is he has a charity that is focused on helping people. They do a lot of work partnership with Heifer International. So they help people in developing countries with really basic infrastructure that can set them up to dramatically improve not only their own lives, but the lives of everybody around them. And that's one of his personal pet projects that he is very vocal about. And at this point, he's raised literally millions of dollars for Heifer International 
Because he has a platform and he uses it. It's also to look at this in a more business marketing perspective, it is a very safe choice for him. Yes. Like, people aren't going to get political about, oh, poor people should be left to suffer. We shouldn't do give help them out with basic well, infrastructure. there have yeah. been. There have. He actually has had um, people lash out because he's taking money from poor people in the United States and giving it to poor people in some other country. <laughs> poor people aren't, like, people with the level of poorness that Heifer International helps out with is something basically incomprehensible to most Americans. That is your white privilege speaking. He has stories from people in the United States who have virtually nothing, but who have donated $5 to his charity fundraiser. And to them, that $5 may represent eating or not this week. Like, this Mm -hmm. is a real thing in the United States. This isn't just something that's out there in third world countries. It's, Kay's right, it is a pretty safe thing for him to pursue versus something more politicized like racism or um, equal rights for LGBT people. But there are people who are always going to take anything you do and find a way to turn it against you. Right. So, but I mean, to that point, there's no getting away from those people. Like, they will continue to exist. Haters are going to (laughs) hate. But... By choosing a, a thing like Heifer International, which overall is pretty hard to argue with, it's it's, a, it's a, one of those just simple, wholesome, good charities. Like he's not really going to turn off readers by promoting this charity. Now, if he had have chosen something like the what is it, the Southern, Southern Poverty Law Foundation, like. A lot, you know, hey, there may be neo-Nazis in his readership. Seems unlikely, but there might be, and they would be very turned off by that. But if he keeps them in, and this is, if he keeps them in his readership, financially, he's got more people giving him money. But to the politics aspect of things, he has an opportunity to affect them with his words, with his future stories. And so he may, like, say say Patrick Rothfuss, you know, actually cares a lot about, you know, the racism as an issue. Like, if he sticks to Heifer International, he can have black and Hispanic people in his stories who are good people and are helpful and are relatable and you want to be around them. And those, if there are neo-Nazis in his readership, they're going to spend time in their heads with a relatable human black person. So Kay does not follow Patrick Rothfuss on social media, but I do. And he has been outspoken against racism repeatedly. So even if... For example, he were to support the Southern Poverty Law Center as a fundraiser, and people were willing to let that go. Because he is publicly outspoken against racism, that will polarize people who feel attacked by that against him. My, 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 My point was more that if he was looking at this from a more clinical business perspective, which kind of goes a little bit against... 
the whole putting out a political agenda, like he could have been very calculating in his choice of, you know, and this is something you can do. You want to make a positive change in the world uh, and you still want to have the ability to affect readers through your thing. Like you can choose a safe charity. You can choose a safe topic that actually does improve the world and still go that. Or you can choose like him to say, hey, racism or X is terrible as a big political uh, statement. He could have, you know, and maybe he switches his charity to Southern poverty because we've got such terrible racism stuff going on in America. Like these are all valid choices and they all, you can have a positive impact on the world with each of them in different ways. And you have to choose what is, what are you comfortable with? What is more important to you? Is it more important to you to, you know, publicly, you know, stand out against racism and possibly lose readers. Uh, you know, maybe you feel that that moral stand is is more important. And it, it may be because certain writers like him are such public personas that people look up to them. And just like we look up to movie stars and basketball players and all these, th- and these public people, like whatever they do, a lot of people will think, I should do that too. I should be more like that. And there's there's value in that. So Kay said something interesting, and I want to circle back to it. When he said he could be more calculating in his statements because he has a chance to influence these people through his writing. So in this example, if he were not so publicly outspoken against racism, he may be able to subtly influence people by including positive interactions with characters of color in his stories. On the flip side, as a public persona, some people feel they have a moral obligation to be outspoken against racism. They feel that because they have this platform, it is something they have to do to make it publicly publicly censure people who engage in these kinds of behaviors because they may feel that's the most effective way to change people's minds. So calculating may not be something that would work for him if he had moral outrage and felt the need to take a public stand. So there's so many different ways you can sort of go with this, and there is no right or wrong, but it's good to understand how it could impact your career and also potential personal consequences that it could have on you. So from a business perspective, one thing you should keep in mind is that if you are publishing with a traditional publisher and you become publicly outspoken in your public persona about some political issue, your traditional publisher could use that against you. They could cancel a contract if you have ongoing um, agreements with them, to publish new books, they could say, okay, we're not publishing anything else by you. They've always got to get out of jail clause. Yeah. Uh, they could disavow you, say uh, you're not affiliated with the company, your views don't represent the company. Yeah. We, we don't want to associate with those values. Like, like a lot of um, corporate CEOs withdrew from Trump's advisory council after he failed to outright condemn the white supremacy activities. A lot of corporations are going to want to CYA and protect themselves from being publicly associated with someone who has unpopular political opinions. 
and on a uh, more everyday person, like small indie publisher, writer, I have a very real example from the news I saw this morning, right? Uh, Sadly, it's in the opposite direction. A vice principal, I believe, published a children's book that was very, very thinly veiled uh, white supremacy agenda, like something involving Pepe the Frog, which I don't know what is, but is somehow a white supremacy character, and centipedes, which is some keyword I don't know, but he got fired. Now, we're not terribly surprised that a vice principal espousing hatred against, you know, gets fired. But imagine we set the clock back 20 years. What if that vice president wrote a children's book that said that gay people were okay. He probably would have been fired for that too. Today, we'd probably say, that's okay. And there are similarly values that many of us hold right now, which are a little uncomfortable to society. It's like you can see, okay, society's going there, but it's not there yet. And if you write a story with those values prominently, you know, if they happen to be off the side on character, you'll probably get away with it. But if they're very prominent, what happens if your boss finds out about that? What happens if your family finds out about that? What, you know, hopefully your spouse already knows about your values, but, you know, frequently there's like with the example of a children's book that says, you know, hey, gay people are okay. There's a lot of us out there with very elderly grandparents or great-grandparents who grew up in another time and are very not not comfortable with that. So I'm not saying be cautious. I'm saying, like Dacry said, there are very can be very real-world impacts to you personally for the political things you put out there. I was going to go even further with that. That's a good example. And this sort of goes to some of the things we've talked about before about whether or not you might want to use a pen name. So if you know when you're writing that you may want to be political, either through your storytelling or through your public persona, but you don't necessarily want to face consequences in your real life for doing so, it may be a good reason to use a pen name. On the flip side... In today's internet world, it has become increasingly simple to track down people. And this is something that now is even a trend. Um, There are people who literally make it their mission to expose people on the internet. It's called doxing. So they will find your address, your phone number, your place of employment, and put that out on the internet so that people who disagree with you can threaten you, essentially. Yeah. And realistically, none of us are sophisticated enough to uh, prevent that, prevent it. Like, I might be able to get away with it. And I know a lot more about how this stuff happens than most people. And I'm not even confident that I could without a lot of work. And even then, I wouldn't be sure. Like, to really, really prevent that people from connecting your pen name back to you in this day and age is actually quite difficult. Uh, It's 
partially because most of us don't segregate our thoughts that sophisticatedly. Like we don't, oh, I never log in from the same computer <laughs> when I'm using these two things. Like, or the same IP address because if you log in from your house. Right. Two different computers in the same house will still show up. They'll tie them together. Like the, for people who know how the internet works, it's not really hard unless you take very significant, significant measures. That being said, for most authors, nobody really cares enough yeah. to find out who they really are. Most authors are just writing entertaining tales. And, hey, the author wrote an entertaining tale. Do I really care if that's their true name? Most people don't care, you know? And you get to be your persona, and that's fine. But it is something to think about that... Even if you take steps to protect your identity, it could be exposed. And if you are espousing political opinions that are not popular or that run contrary to a group that is motivated to violence, you may receive threats. So this is something that has happened, uh, sadly, too often. It was a different sort of issue. It was um, people who are essentially anti-women, started going after women in um, video gaming media. So they would write about video games and hardware and stuff like that. And people were unhappy with the women expressing their viewpoints and started personally threatening these women with horrible threats, threats of violence, threats of rape. Like, it was a really bad situation. And this has been sort of ongoing off and on in the past couple of years. It'll die down every now and again, and then some new instance will flare up. But these women received personal threats. The, the personal threats to the point that they felt they had to go to the police and receive protection. They had to cancel their online um, social media accounts. So they would cancel their Twitter accounts or their Facebook accounts. They would refrain from making public appearances at places because if people knew where they were, they were afraid that they would be physically harmed by being somewhere people were aware of them. Or the people they cared about. Yeah. So I I don't want to alarm anybody, but the idea that people are out there in the world who will make these sorts of threats of violence against you, and some of them may actually follow through on them, you have to think about that. You have to be aware of it. And you have to decide whether that risk is worthwhile to you. I hate to even point this out, yeah. I, the fact that I have to stinks, but it's something that you should think about when you're deciding how political you may want to be in your writing or in your persona. And finally, I just want to touch briefly on the potential consequences to your income if you get political, either in your writing or in your persona. So we've sort of hinted at this. It can really go either way. In a situation where, like we spoke about earlier, there are a lot of uh, minorities who feel not well represented in fiction, if you find a positive way to tap into that market, that can dramatically boost your income. If you get a bunch of readers buying your books because they feel represented and because they can really relate to your characters, that is awesome for your career. On the flip side, if you espouse some very negative political opinions, or even unpopular ones, people will make other people aware of it. 
They'll leave reviews saying, oh, this guy just rants about neo-Nazi bullshit or whatever it is. The um, environment. The I environment. Get it. The environment is bad. I'm sick of reading about the environment. They're beating me overhead about the environment. And leaving those reviews will mean you will get fewer readers because people will not be interested in experiencing that. They won't want to hear about it. And if you are publicly outspoken in a way that upsets people, they may actually boycott you. Now, going back to Orson Scott Card, because I was talking about Ender's Game earlier and saying this is an interesting example, I love Ender's Game. The book had a dramatic impact on me at a young age, and I've continued to recommend it to people throughout my adulthood, and I find it this really compelling story of empathy and love. Orson Scott Card, as a person, is not a very nice person. He holds political viewpoints that are really not compatible with my personal viewpoints. So every time I think about buying one of his books, I have to ask myself, do I want to give this author, whose viewpoints I do not agree with, money? Do I want to continue to support his lifestyle and his public platform for speaking out these political viewpoints that I do not agree with by making this purchase? And... I have refrained from buying some of his books over the years because I am not willing to do that. Yeah, me too. I have also bought some of his books over the years in spite of that. So it's sort of dependence on what's going on in my life at the time. But there will be readers who will decide, based on your political opinions, whether or not they want to buy your books or not. Yeah, and it's not all negative. Like, at the same time, it can be very much like... You may choose to take a vocal political viewpoint in your stories, and there's a good chance there will be a group of people who will say, I love this person because they actually stand up and speak the truth. They speak this thing that needs to be said, and they they can be your most ardent fans and spread the word about you. Like, Like Dakari said, it really can go either way. And... For me, I mean, my advice would be when you're still small, think about your career, how this may or may not affect your day job, because most indie authors still have a day job. You know, most can't fund themselves simply by writing yet. So while you are still dependent upon other people for your income, think about will this negatively affect negatively impact my ability to put food on my plate. I just want to point out that even if you become a successful indie author or even a traditionally published author and you are no longer relying on other people for your income from the standpoint of having a day job, you're still relying on other people for your income from the standpoint of having people buy your books. Yeah. So you're always relying on other people for your income. The question is just whether it's one person or whether it's millions of people. Right. Can 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 you be fired for your viewpoint? Yeah. Yes. Um, and yeah, to me, that's the most, you know, take care of yourself, be able to put food on your plate, take care of your family. And once you've gotten the security that you can take a more riskier, risque, uh, public stance, like if that's, if the message you want to put out there is important to you, do it. We need more people like you know, fighting, I would say, let's fight for good in the world. You know, it is a free country. There will some, be some people <laughs> fighting for not so good as we 
see it, but you know, I think most people are inherently good and want to have peace with each other and, you know, share this world and enjoy life. And let's find ways to make some change there. Yeah. So as an author, you have a platform. It is up to you to decide how you want to use that. If you want to get political, you can reach people who may not be reached in other means but it can have an impact on your career and your personal life and your family life. So it's a tricky balancing question. Yeah. And on that note, I think we'll leave you here before we get even more political than we've already started to get. I just wanted to say that Bright Little Light Press is moving. So we're going to be possibly taking a break from podcast for a few weeks while we go through the move, close in our new space, and get everything back up and running again. So in the meantime, if you have any questions or if there's anything you want to talk about on a future podcast, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at BLL Press or on Facebook at BLL Press or on our website at brightlittlelight.press and let us know. We'll stockpile those questions and we'll get back into podcasting once we are set up in our new space. As always, thanks for listening and hope you found this informative. Talk to you later. Bye.